You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. The correct Jordan Harris Stadium time is 8.22 p.m. Central Daylight Time. Your digital audio device is tuned into the Orange and True podcast, harbored by collegeofmagnolia.com. I'm Sonna Crow, at Sonna Crow 2 on Twitter, at Sonna Crow on Venmo, Drew to my face. To one side of me, the rumor monger, Ryan Starrett, at Ryan S. Starrett. The S is for see you later, Aggies. So we're here to make fun of me like Mississippi State this week? That yes, that's okay. probably going to happen. And the other side of me, not giving you full Fort Payne ASMR because Chief is a dad times two today as of yesterday. So he's out sitting in for Chief from the athletic, Justin Ferguson. Howdy. How are y'all? So this is like, I feel like our NPR show. We have somebody sitting in for somebody. <laughs> it's uh, like a, it's like in Parks and Rec where yes. they always would have the joke that so, so-and-so was sitting in for so-and-so. Uh, my name is James. I'm sitting in for Catherine, <laughs> who is in New York, sitting in for so-and-so. Yeah. Uh, on today's show, Auburn Soccer had a, had a heck of a week. Had a win against Kentucky, which is a big, big, big win for the soccer program. It's a big SEC win, and also Kentucky's a really good program. 2-1, game winner by Haley Whitaker in the 104th minute because they went to double OT and yeah. then turned around and went to double OT again against Old Dominion and got the draw, 0-0, came out of there with one point. What is double OT in, in college soccer? How does that work? Uh, it's like basketball in that it's two shortened versions of a half. However, it's unlike basketball in that it's golden goal. So first goal wins. So if you Or like the NFL. You play, someone scores first, they win – uh, but if the half ends... So there's no shootouts in college? No. Okay. There's no PK shootout in college. Soccer. Until you get to the postseason. Yeah. Man. The PK shootout is beloved and hated all yes. at the same time. It's, it's a, that is a... There are people who love it. Most of those people don't watch a ton of soccer. People who watch a ton of soccer yeah. don't love it unless their team wins by a shootout. Then they love it. it it's the most exciting thing you're probably going to see as you take casual viewer. Yeah. Um, it's something you flip the channel over to go see if it's a, you know, a big match. Yeah, but. I always felt like FIFA should go back to the golden goal rule. Me too. Just like college soccer. Um, because, like, take, for example, hockey. You know, I don't care anything about hockey during the regular season, but if I know a playoff game's in overtime, I'm going to turn it because the golden goal in that aspect. Yes. It's so, it's so thrilling. Every single moment it can be, can be you know, even heightened. I love I, it. I would love it if they uh, – if they made it the golden goal, and I wish that FIFA would go to uh, the college soccer version of the clock, where the clock is kept mm-hmm. in yeah. the press box and not where saying people keep a clock, right. not by a guy on the field who has who doesn't have to tell anybody what the clock's doing, just him. Um, that was actually something Karen Hoppe talked about in the interview I did with her, but she also likes the sudden rules in college soccer, which I don't. So that's uh, next week. Auburn is home versus Tennessee on Thursday, and they go to Oxford to play Ole Miss on Saturday, Sunday. But both those games should be on SEC Network and SEC Network Plus. So, Ryan, you can watch both of those. There we go. You can go out of that uh, on Thursday night game, bro. I will be in Breckenridge, Colorado on Ooh, Thursday and Friday right. this week. Yeah, so I won't, I won't actually be in town for the football game either this weekend. It's going to be 40 degrees in Breckenridge, Colorado when I'm there. You it's guys. going to be 94 here, yeah. probably, kickoff. Yeah, somehow. all that cool weather we kind of had the last couple of days over the weekend. You know, it might be nice to tailgate. No, it's going to be back up to the upper 90s. So I completely missed that because it was it was still blazing hot in <laughs> College Station. Mm-hmm. Um, like, mm-hmm. no no relief whatsoever. It was about Friday morning. You got up. It's like, oh, it's you know, in this low 70s. It's 80 no, degrees no, for lunch. No, no. <laughs> guys, yeah. 80 degrees is not cold. Yeah, no. today it was 80 this evening. I was like, oh, man, kind of chilly out here. Like, that is not a cold temperature. <laughs> 80 degrees is warm. 
It was today, the first day of fall, and it's still like 95 degrees yep. outside. It sounds right. Yeah. It does not smell like pumpkin spice. It still smells like body odor. It's too hot. <laughs> yeah, 40 degrees. I'm going to have to like figure out if my jacket still fit. Because oh, yeah. I've had no need for them since... you got to pull them out of storage since you move. Yeah, exactly. i got to figure out where they are. Yeah, and see if they still fit. So, you guys want to talk basketball? Of course. All right, on the show notes, it has basketball recruiting as our next topic, which... Yeah, this is... So, normally we don't talk about recruiting too much, but this is a pretty big weekend from what I understand. I don't know anything about it. Yeah, so I was talking to Will, uh, Dr. McLaughlin, our, our basketball expert on the site. Uh, we got some visitors. Uh, Cam Thomas is a maybe. I think he was supposed to be on the list. I don't know if he's for sure coming. Mm-hmm. Greg, I don't know if you know any more on that. Oh, I don't follow basketball recruiting okay. at all. But uh, <laughs> I mean, I I keep up with how much I need to know. Okay. But yeah, so I I leave it to the to the honestly the people like Will to to, yeah. to to sort it out for me. Yeah. So Cam Thomas, he's a shooting guard, five star, and uh, Jalen Green, another five star. Um, they're both going to be on campus for the Mississippi State game. So hopefully that game goes well. Um, I mean, we missed on Walker Kessler today, the big five-star center. Um, supposed to be between Auburn and Duke and then went up to Chapel Hill and committed to North Carolina this past weekend. Yeah, UNC uh, closed quick on him. Yeah. yeah. I mean, here's the thing. It, was he the Georgia guy? He yeah. was the guy, yeah. yeah he he ruled Georgia out pretty quick. Georgia connections, yeah. and then he probably met their coach and decided. <laughs> yeah. Wasn't a fan of that. Um Tom Green is a sweaty looking dude. He just looks like he might not ever stop sweating. And the thing with Georgia is so interesting is because they've got, you know, they've got a lottery pick, probably a top three, possibly top one pick yeah. in in this next year. But Kessler wouldn't play with him. Like so, it's like one of those things where you got to you got to hit right, and hopefully that can roll into you know your 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 next class, and that isn't quite quite going on right right now at Georgia. Yeah. So when you're Auburn, you, you got to feel good about. Being in recruiting battles with Duke in North Carolina. Yeah, you don't want to lose them all, but you want to to be able to say you're in them is pretty right. cool. It used to be you know, UAB and Vanderbilt. We used to be taking kids from and, UT Martin right. and being excited about it. So Or having transfers from Furman and being like ecstatic. <laughs> uh, Sharif Cooper, Mark Murphy crystal ball, Sharif Cooper to Auburn, which I think, I mean, everyone, I, I don't think there's anybody who doesn't think he's coming to Auburn. Yeah, it, it's he still has a main official announcement. And I don't really know why. It's like three weekends in a row someone has told me this is the weekend that he's going to come in. So I'm excited about that weekend. Uh, Who knows when it'll happen. Maybe it'll be during signing period. But uh, we'll see. I think he's he's kind of the reason um, we're getting some more of these these five-star recruits that are interested in us. Uh, I think he – let's see. I think he – either plays with or is just friends with Jalen Green. I know that's that's kind of a reason Green started looking at us mm-hmm. in the first place was because of Sharif. Yeah, you got to get all those AAU connections yeah. are huge yeah. in, in basketball recruiting. Well, it's like in these these past couple teams, Auburn has had a ton of Atlanta kids. The yeah. AOT uh, team. They all play on AOT. Yeah, right. Yeah. And they're they're starting to diversify a little bit. But AOT just happens to be under armor. AAU It's just not a, like a you know, coincidence. Random, random coincidence. <laughs> it just happens. Yeah. Yeah, yeah just just just... Yeah. Kind of basketball recruiting, you know. It's just that's just Things happenstance. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sharif Cooper, we talked about him. Cameron Thomas, you're like, oh, Horace Spencer, Chief would love it if we mentioned that Horace Spencer's first basketball game for Atenas Cord- Cordoba in Argentina is this Thursday. So if you yeah. have, I don't know, man, like a way to pirate that feed, I don't know how else. It may not be on TV in Argentina. If it is. Maybe it's on the internet. Maybe you can figure that out. Maybe pay somebody to just go and live stream it from their phone. That might be the best you can do. They don't, they're not very good at interacting. I tweeted at a tennis Cordoba a couple times now looking for a horse <laughs> Spencer jersey, and they have not even responded or liked my tweets. Wait, did you tweet them in Spanish or mm, English? English. Maybe next time I'll tweet them in Spanish. I'm sure you guys probably talked about this, but I think it's a big deal that Horace is playing in Argentina. Me too. Because it's, it's, it's a probably your best league in the Western Hemisphere, outside of right. uh, outside of the of the NBA, of course, and they've taken on to him pretty well from just what you can kind of pick up from from their Twitter account and stuff like that. Uh, I think he's going to have a great career over there. Yeah. I, I, I really do. I think I think, and you can make good money playing basketball overseas. So even mm-hmm. if you're not going to have a shot in the NBA or even in the G League, um, there's something to be said for you know keep keeping on doing that. And look, you're talking about earlier Auburn didn't Auburn didn't have a ton of those guys either no. for a while. I mean, it was Kenny Gabriel kind of kind of. Carrying the torch, winning dunk contest in Turkey for right. a while, 
But now you're going to start getting the NBA guys, but just getting guys who are pros themselves and who will come back to Auburn and be an encouragement to some of those role players and maybe some of those bench guys that are like, you know, why Auburn? Well, you can still play professional basketball right. coming out here even right. if you're not a star. And life in Argentina is not half bad, making decent no. money and no. living down there. I, I think you're absolutely right. That's probably – probably NBA won – the case could be said the G League is the second best professional league. And then the Argentina and Brazil's gotta be yeah. the next two. And like And the tennis is I think it's supposed to be the best team in that league. Yeah, it's one of them. One of the more prestigious teams at least. So he could parlay that from there to maybe playing in the Spanish League, Turkish League. He could end up overseas and have a long career. And I think I mean you saw we talked about him last week. Simeon Bowers played in the Philippines for six, seven years. Like Guys can play overseas if they can play. And Horace has the type of game that translates really well to the international game. He doesn't need the ball in his hands to be effective. And that's a, that's a big thing. So, What's the story with Bryce Brown then? Because he's he not, not playing professionally yet? Like, I don't know. He's not signed with anybody. you got to figure somebody needs somebody who can hit threes. Yeah, I, I do wonder if he's kind of waiting to see if he might even land on a G League team somewhere right. since he had a mm-hmm. summer league run. You're there. These G League teams are gonna have to fill fill out their rosters at some no. point with guys who aren't, you know, two ways or right. guys who are getting sent down by the by the main club. So uh, maybe maybe we'll come. I mean, I don't know. I admittedly don't know a ton about how that works, but maybe something in the G League draft you might might be able to keep an eye on him because I feel like that's kind of where yeah, he's gonna end up being. Yeah. He's too good not to be playing professional basketball somewhere. Yeah, and he had a decent enough run in in summer league. Yeah, he when he got on the floor, he did he did pretty well. And you know, three and D, you need three and D guys just to fill out a roster. Sure. At least. I mean, heck, he he could be he could be a fourteenth or a fifteenth guy on a on a on a lottery bound team. Yeah. Towards the end of the season, I mean, you got to see how play with the Lakers. Yeah, <laughs> you can see you can see how like watch the Hawks sometime mm-hmm. in these last couple of years at the end of the year. It's just dudes. It's just you, guys. Yeah, and so you know maybe, maybe get a chance. It'd be cool to see if he got a chance. Say with the Hawks with their new team now in College Park. Being that's what I, that would be great. My dream is a College Park Hawks uh, Bryce Brown jersey, and to go because we'd go see him. We'd probably oh, yeah. go see him play five games. By the way, their new jerseys Park. they came out with this week are just they're amazing, awesome. <laughs> they are really really cool. They are better than the Big Hawks. Yes. One hundred percent better than the Big Hawks because they're not trying to make the neon green happen. No, they're just they're just letting it be be the red and black and yellow. It's a yeah. I'm hoping for Bryce Brown in, in College Park, or I'm hoping for Bryce Brown, you know, in the Big Hawks for the or for the Mavs to be one hundred percent honest. I like him on the Mavs. That okay. So that brings me to another question. We've talked about this in the Slack a bunch. So Chuma is officially, according to Shams, redshirting for yes. the Magic, which we had all speculated was going to be the case. The good news for Chuma is that means he gets slotted at next year's 16th pick money. Mm-hmm. So he'll actually end up making like, I think, another 200 grand mm-hmm. this year. But he, I think they have to start paying him now. Okay. But, yeah, he's going to yeah. sign a G League deal this year okay. um, and, and treat him like a guy. You basically treat him like a guy who didn't go to college. Right. And you just put him on a G League contract for a year. And then in 2020, he will finally sign that deal. And it, and it yeah. extends that window as well. It's a four-year deal. Uh, so the magic like, so for a baseball comparison, it's, they're not starting a service time yet. Exactly. Right. The exactly. Magic get him for five years, but only have to pay him a four-year contract. And this year. And it he, starts next year. This year he gets to rehab. He gets to. No, you know, no pressure for playing this year. Get to, get to learn, get to build into the team and kind of what the Magic want to do. My um, question is, does he. Based on this contract, does that mean he is even able to play on the G League roster in the spring if he were to rehab? Like, does he get rehab assignments, or is he not eligible for that because they're stashing him? Sounds like he would be eligible to play on the G League team, but not, not for get the NBA team. Yeah. Okay. yeah, I think that would probably be the way to go. So the real question, though, is he going to be in 2K at any point this year? Man, I hope so, but I don't think so. This is the yeah, case. He's already in the game. Oh, he is? Yeah, he wasn't already- on the game out of the box, though. Oh, he wasn't out of the no. box. They did a face. They did a full scan for him okay. and everything, and put him in. The, put him into the game. He wasn't out of the box because he was. He had not signed a contract right. with the Magic. So I don't know if this is now going to change that or not. I bet in a live roster they could yeah. have him and and have him designated as. We get a lot of Auburn fans as a in. as a uh, G League guy, right? Because I think, I mean, the best part about best thing for Chuma would be to have this year get some rehab assignments, and then, like you said, have four years starting next year at more money to play on a match team that quite possibly could be actually decent next mm-hmm. year. Anybody could be good in the East. 
And the yeah. and the Magic's G League team's in Lakeland, so it's right. not a, it's not like yeah. you're having to go a distance. Like, right. It's not like those guys who have to like play in like Reno. There's um, a lot of Auburn fans in Orlando. Oh yeah, yeah. So that that's area. a that's a good thing for him. Yeah, I think there's a lot of people who'd buy a, a Chumo Kiki Orlando Magic T-shirt jersey, or would sure. love it if the Magic would send them one for free that host <laughs> this podcast. Uh, we are going to take a quick break. Okay, so we're back, and we have a couple questions to ask our special you know, guest. We've got a special guest here. Yeah. Uh, let's, let's I, don't go. Know, I don't know how special this is. But so <laughs> special, Justin. You're our first guest. All right. Well, actually, not our first, you're our first in-person guest. We've ever first had. non-staff guest. Yeah, exactly. There you go. A non-SB Nation guest. There we go. All right, so what was your first game you attended as a kid? The first all game. So, um, I don't remember, like... I don't remember if I had gone to ones before because right. I grew up, I grew up in a bunch of different places. But from when I, from the time I was three to the time I was five, I lived here. So I probably went to a game around then. But I do remember after we had moved away when I was about six or seven, we came to a game um, when Auburn played Vanderbilt and beat the tar out of them. And I remember that's my first vivid memory of going to a game. It was a like a it was like an eleven o'clock game. It was blazing hot, and Auburn just whipped Vanderbilt. JP game, yeah, I mean, definitely a JP game, and <laughs> and just whipped them. And it was fun because at that point you're like, oh, your team wins, and you're your kid, and you're thinking, right. well, yeah, Auburn. Like that was that was my first memory. It's like, yeah, Auburn just you know dominated them. That's that's your that's Auburn football. And it's like, yeah, well, hold on, hold on, yeah. kid. You're gonna, you got a little you got a little ways to go. I'm waiting for uh, tomorrow once this episode drops for either James, probably James, to tweet about exactly which game you're talking about. Yeah, exactly I, where he was during that game. I probably I probably should have looked it up and found it. But yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it was a Vanderbilt game. Is the first one I have a vivid memory. It's probably the O three Vanderbilt game. <laughs> so it's gonna say I think that actually was in Nashville. Uh, what? Who is your first favorite Auburn football player or okay. basketball player? I guess. Well, okay, so that's a funny thing because I have more memories of the '99 basketball team than I do of any football team around. So I was born in '93. So late '90s, I have very little to no memory of Auburn football, which is probably a good thing. Um, but Auburn basketball, that that '99 team, and I was a huge, huge fan of. My brother, my brother's about a, about a year younger than me. He, he was a huge Chris Porter fan, of course. I love Chris right. Porter. And so I thought it would be different. You know, you can't have the same favorite player. I was a huge Mamadou Njai fan. Yes. Huge Mamadou Njai fan. And then, uh, so he said, Mamadou and then Doc Robinson. Loved, loved Doc Robinson, of course. But that whole team was my first one. I guess for football, a little bit after that, I guess the first player I remember really, really liking a ton uh, was Rudy Johnson. And, you know, he's only there for a year, but, I mean, I just remember him just – crushing it the year he was at Auburn and then one of I think one of the most underrated plays and calls in Auburn history even though it was they shouldn't have been in that situation was a touchdown run against Wyoming right um where he like broke what felt like 35 tackles on the play and scored Mike Tirico had a great call that's a great game um so uh yeah I would say Rudy was probably my first one we used to do home and homes with Wyoming is that that like the Pat die yeah it was like the Pat die thank you Thank you, Pat Dye. Yeah. Game. It's like why, why you always schedule Sanford. Right. I guess. Yeah. So, you know, Chief is going to love the fact that you mentioned Mamadou Njai. I think, I believe that's Chief's favorite all time Auburn player. He was so. Up there with Horace. Either him or Horace. Because we were in Minneapolis. It was when Mamadou came into the hotel bar, it was pretty, it was pretty fun to be with Chief. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of Chief. Again, before we ask for our next question, again, congratulations to Chief. Mm. A little Chief version 2, born on Sunday. So, um, for people who are listening who might have read it, I did the story last week on um, the West Virginia game, the yes. Rams game, the 10th right. anniversary, and Chief was one of the guys I talked to for the story. Um, he called me right after they had like uh, some doctor's visit like right before I had no idea they were this close and I'm oh, like yeah. and I'm like dude like at this point oh, I was yeah. like I was like dude you were you that close to being a dad and you're you're wasting your time talking to me about a football game and he loved it. Like, Second kid. Yeah. You know, uh, you know so. yeah he's already been he's already been through the ringer once. <laughs> right. So, yeah. No that was a great story and I appreciate I, it. My favorite thing about that story was it reminded me of I mean that was one of those games that should not have been that big of a deal. It was two unranked teams. It was 09. So it was kind of the, the season at Auburn that really was just the most happy to be here mm-hmm. season ever. We were just happy that it wasn't miserable. And then 
but that game kind of exemplified in a lot of ways the new how fun Auburn football could be yeah. as far as we thought. And also the optimism, I think the pre-2010, pre-2013 optimism of Auburn football, you don't get the same amount right? because Alabama hadn't quite become the superpower that they are yet. And so I think there's a good part of the Auburn fan base is still always going to be a little bit, or, or a lot of bit in some cases, disappointed if they're not going to Atlanta. You know, most, right. of, the, most of the time, back then it was just, you could get really, really fired up for a sure. game against you know, an unranked West Virginia yeah. team at, a, at the time, and of course the rain made it all. But that, and it was sold out. It was sold out, and as and as uh, um, as Jack pointed out to me when I talked to him for the story, it was probably over capacity because people yeah. snuck in after the rain. Um, it is a crazy. It was a crazy game, and like that's the thing is like when I wrote the story, it was like ten years for ten year anniversary. I've been waiting on it for a while, but I had people who I work with talk to me. It's like I don't remember anything about this game. But this was, a, you know, this was a really cool story. And I was like, yeah, this was very much, growing up an Auburn fan, this was very much a, I know Auburn fans are going to love, love yeah. this story and remember this game. And so that's that's what I was trying to kind of shoot for there. But when you have it as people comparing it to crowd noise of the kick six, the prayer, you know, the miracle of Jordan Hare, or, um, you know, Trey Smith flipping into the end zone, it's like, you hard to believe that was a mid-September game <laughs> between two unranked teams. With one of them had Noel Devine. The greatest YouTube running back in the history oh, of football, <laughs> who had de- who had absolutely destroyed Auburn oh, for five man. straight quarters at that point. Smoked <laughs> them yeah. in that in that game too. Early version of Trevion Williams. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, Ryan, you gotta look watch some Noah Devine highlight videos on YouTube at some point. You're gonna feel like he was must have been playing like eighth grade football as a senior in high school. That's what it looks like. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the only except thing for I, he still looked like an. Yeah, he was still the same size as everybody else. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, it was the. I think the only other highlight tape I remember seeing that was close to that was was Derrick Henry's. At, you know, because he was oh, playing yeah. you know three A football in Florida, yeah. and he looked like a man running against a bunch of children. No, Devine was that kind of in the opposite. It was just like, oh yeah, y'all have no. There's no chance of catching him. Yeah. yeah. Ryan did send me the greatest, one of the best I've seen this year, and that was the uh, Montrez Adams. Adams. Yeah. Playing one football in Georgia, what they just destroyed. I'll tell you, tell, tell you a quick story about Mon Adams about it, real quick. I yeah. uh, I did a story uh, where I went to his hometown uh, in Georgia um, his senior year, and so I was I was at SEC Country at the time. I've been I guess that would have been sixteen or seventeen, um, just sixteen. And uh, I I remember uh, went to go went to his high school, tiny little one A high school, and I was talking to his high school coach about just. What was it like? Because mom was a top ten recruit coming out of high, coming out of high school at that that little place, and uh, he was telling me that it was wild seeing these private jets land mm-hmm. at the little airstrip there in uh, in Vienna, and it was just like the Davo Sweeney, Nick Saban, yeah. like just had led, just would come there all the time, and it was like, they had no way to handle all the attention around him, and it was a miracle he got. It was a miracle, honestly, I think. Mine was the way he was in college. I think it was part of just the way he was raised. But also, he got so much attention for a kid that yeah. <laughs> was so crazy. Because it's like, it would be like, for people around here, it would be like if one of the top ten players in the country was playing at Lo Chipoka. Right. Like, it, it would, it would yeah. be exact, a real town. Like, it would be, it, it, it felt like that exactly. This and, tiny place. Yeah, man. Like everybody there work, works at a chicken plant, including right. his mom and his sisters. And like, yeah, it's it's. If it wasn't kind of off the interstate, there would be like there'd be no way to, that people right. would ever get there. It's and amazing. his his highlight video is so funny because you're like, well, not, like in basketball, a guy could play at a one A high school, but his AAU team is still playing against the best teams in the country. Yeah, the only time Mon Adams played football was against 165 pound centers. In one age, like he didn't get to go play in some summer league because he didn't play receiver. He wasn't playing seven on seven. He's playing defensive tackle. Yeah, he had to go to like rivals and twenty four seven camps. Yeah, and, and dominate. And those guys get looked at even tougher because it's like you really have to show yeah. a ton because they'll look at you and say, "Okay, well, you just beat up this, you know, this one hundred ninety pound white kid at, at, at right. offensive tackle. Like that ain't going that ain't going to cut it if you're going to try <laughs> to play in the SEC." But well, and behold, he he did it, and he was he was really good for four years. And it's not like he had to come in and redshirt; like he was a Ooh, he, played, he was a significant member of that twenty thirteen. Played line. right away. Played I love right that. Away. Him and Carl Lawson. Yeah. Was he the first of the number ones on the defensive line? 
And then we've kind of kept it. I think we've had a number one playing D-line since him. Yeah, I don't remember definitely one. Was, yeah, definitely been one since him, but I don't know if there's one before. Yeah, Single-digit defensive linemen are the best. Like, yeah, you, I agree. Like, you, you know that did, you got Did Clowney start that? Uh, Tennessee used to always have one. Okay. And Clemson had a run, like, before Clemson's big run, but... Um, I want to say, I want to say maybe Gaines Adams play was okay. was like three hundred and fifty pounds and wore like number nine on the, yeah. on the defensive line. So I used to always like single digit linebackers and single digit defensive linemen. I just thought, okay, those dudes, you had to be good. It's kind of like uh, what was his name? Richard Johnson's article about the the visor. Mm-hmm. The visor didn't make you visor. good. You wore a dark visor because you were good. Because if you wore one and you weren't good. You were getting made fun of until you took it off. And that reminded me of how great Ronnie Brown's orange visor was. Yes, Ronnie Brown's orange <laughs> visor, no gloves. Yeah. Just, that was just, it. Just the fiercest look. That was it. All right. What is the best thing you've eaten on the road covering a road game? This season or yeah, period? Period. Oh, period. Um, Unless you want to do this season. I'll do this season because it because it uh, it uh it's easier to narrow down. Um, it was just the place I was in last week. Um, we went to – we flew into Houston, and we went to a place in uh, Tomball, north uh-huh. of Houston. Um, it's this place that opened as a chocolate place, like a chocolate shop. Um, and they were doing it. They were making good money, and they were like, okay, we need to we need to drum up the crowd a little bit more, so let's, let's, sell, let's sell food. Um, they decided to – you're in Texas. They cook – brisket they find a guy who it was time for him to kind of be his own pit master um they start selling brisket there and uh the first year they were open they were number seven on texas monthly's uh list of best places in texas like right off the bat what's more competitive brisket cooking or high school football in texas that is a tough one i will say in both instances i know people that will drive across the state to watch (laughs) a high school football game or go to a particular barbecue restaurant they go, oh, I heard such and such and wherever's good. Yeah. I'm driving down to Uvalde this weekend to go watch so-and-so play. He's a good running back. I heard he's going to go to the Horns. Like, I, I know people that will drive across the state to go watch a good high school game so or you, to go to a good barbecue place. So you go to this place and you get you get you some brisket and you get you get you a couple of chocolate truffles on the way out the door. It's, that, it was it What was a awesome. hilarious... And it's the best smelling restaurant I've ever been to. You yeah. get the smokiness and all that of like a regular barbecue place, and then it smells like chocolate in there as well. And then they also they combine it. They do a mole sauce that you can wow. put on there. It is, it is divine. <laughs> um, this wasn't your question, but to to go off of that a little bit, maybe the most surprising thing people may may hear, and I've said this a couple times in the past, my favorite restaurant in the SEC is in Starkville. Oh no, Ryan's Little Dewey's. It's not Lil Dewey's. Oh. Lil Dewey's is good. Uh, Petty's is also very good in, yeah. in, in, in Starkville. It's a place in downtown uh, Starkville called Restaurant Tyler. Um, it is a one of those like modern southern kind of places. You know, there's a couple of them like that in in Auburn, but just off just off the off off, <laughs> off your head kind of good stuff. Wow. It is amazing. Probably the best place I've ever been. To. They uh they do like cold smoked grilled uh, pork chops that are like the size of a dictionary. That's um, amazing. And then they did a uh, Bananas Foster pudding that was wow. probably my favorite dessert I've had in a, in a long time. So, so yeah, start Vegas. Ryan's a, not, a, not even a closeted Mississippi State fan. He just is a Mississippi State fan. Yeah, I've got family, man. And I understand. He always is trying to explain to us why Mississippi State and Starkville are both really good. Starkville is, Starkville is underrated, I think, in terms of food. You're not going to have much to do there. But right. if you like to eat, pretty good. I will say this. Every time I go to Starkville... Um, I have a list from uh, relatives uh, to buy as much cheese as I can fit in the rental car on the way back for Christmas gifts. So I do that That's pretty hilarious. much. <laughs> Last year, I bought 15 pounds of cheese before before the Mississippi State came and <laughs> put it in my rental car and drove it back to Auburn. My wife and I once were, this is going to sound like the weirdest story. My wife and I were on a bicycle tour of Austria once. Yeah, we're already off to a great start. And as one does. We stopped at a monastery, as you do, to buy... Uh, beer and cheese. My daughter was not born yet, who is now currently losing her mind. Right into the microphone. We buy cheese at this monastery that's known for its beer and cheese, and we put both in the paneer that's loaded on the back of our bike, which is a bike, a bag that attaches to the rear rack of your bike. And we're, we're driving around, and every couple of days, we are like deep cleaning our cycling clothes because they just stink. Even the clothes we're pulling out of the bags just stink. And we're like, God, what? Like three days later, we're like, why do all of our clothes smell like feet? 
and we're like literally washed all of our clothes every day thinking that we're just sweating that much yeah. whatever turns out we'd forgotten like oh. half of the cheese <laughs> oh no oh no it's <laughs> just in the bottom of the bag oh, just no. getting hot put our uh, sweaty clothes on top of it yeah so we didn't eat that cheese yeah you were making like a science project yeah making some new, a new kind of cheese <laughs> yikes so Chief uh, wrote in and he wanted to know what your wing stop order is we actually stop. talked about it a little bit when I when I talked to him for the story. Um, I am a fan of uh, the the Louisiana rub, which is that is that dry rub that's kind of like it's Cajun spices, but it's kind of buttery as well. And I'm also a big fan of the uh, Korean uh, the Korean Q um, flavor. So I get a half and half of that. Always bone in. I don't like boneless wings. Me neither. Um, yeah, yeah, basically. Like now the rest of the people in my family love them, and that's why I get. I'm like the only one who eats boneless, boneless or bone bone in ones. So I get that. So that's a that's my thing. Well, yeah, we we bonded pretty quickly yeah. over Wingstop when we ever we talk, started talking. In fact, I think he had just gone to Wingstop yeah, when I called him for that story. If he goes, if he goes, he was in Columbus. Here, he was yeah, going to Columbus. Going. Columbus. Yeah, the yeah. Wingstop was pretty close. Shout to out there. to the shout out to the Wingstop in Valley too. That place is that place is popping. <laughs> He's he uh, he will he doesn't understand why I don't have Wingstop in. Auburn, we have so many wing places. But if Wingstop came in, it would dominate. Yeah, I it don't know just, why it's not it here. Just, it would just. Although I do like get, Wingtown. Wingtown is good. Don't sleep on Wingtown whatsoever. Get voodoo too. Oh gosh. I like Wingtown. Mm-hmm. I like Wingtown. You know who else likes Wingtown? Is Los Poca High School kids. Yeah. yeah you can too. learn a lot about Poca High at Wingtown. <laughs> um, I actually was in there one time, and a guy was coming in. He had skipped school. He was coming in to get wings to take back to the cafeteria and eat with his friends. That is, that is brave. That is a boss move. Like, I wish I could have done that in high school. Where I went to high school, there was like no nothing like that. I was middle of nowhere, and we the only town I think in the world that has lost a McDonald's, a Taco Bell, and a Dairy Queen. Oof, that is <laughs> <nuts>. <laughs> yeah. Well, if you lose a Dairy Queen in Texas, you lose your city. yeah yeah you're, 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 you're no longer. I was talking to Justin Lee yeah. about that at, when we I was driving around in Texas and we were talking. He was in Texas yeah. for a very long time. The guy at the OA News. Um, he was and, in. Uh, Odessa. He was in Odessa yeah, for yeah. several. Loved it, but he was talking. We were talking about Dairy Queen, and he's like, "You know, Dairy Queen in Texas is a different ball game." Like, you get steak <laughs> finger basket. I know. We that, would. We yeah. would. We would literally have a coach that if we won a basketball game by a num- certain number of points, he would take us to Dairy Queen after the game, and we would get steak finger basket. He buy everybody steak finger baskets, and so like we'd be at halftime sometimes at games, and the seniors would be yelling like. Do it for the steak finger basket! Like screaming. It's amazing. Like that was the motivating factor was getting that steak finger basket. I love it. Alright, let's talk about it's in. Speaking of Texas, let's talk about Lane football. Alright. <laughs> Nothing better than when the Aggies lose, except for when the Aggies lose to the Auburn Tigers. So it was a pretty good game from Auburn's standpoint. I cannot yeah. imagine a better first quarter from the Auburn point of view. In in the game, really, I know. I know that I'm getting ahead of myself. It, people might have felt nervy in that fourth quarter. Yeah. Being on the field there for that little comeback effort from A&M, uh, Auburn's sideline was just cool as could be. Like, they knew they had this one taken yeah. care of. They just needed, really, one more one more first down. Right. And, and they were fine. And, um, yeah, it, excellent start from Auburn. That made the difference in the game. Also, being able to establish the run. Mm-hmm. And they not being able to do anything no. on the ground. It, this felt like the game from last year, but flipped, yep. and the comeback didn't happen. And I will also, and I will also say this, and I don't know how brave or not brave this is for this podcast, um, but that was probably Gus Malzahn's best game since maybe thirteen or fourteen. Well, that's what of coaching. Like, uh, he, like Nerd said that. Yeah. Nerd said that in the thread. Out, out coached Jim Fisher. Yeah, the, the script was the script was perfect. I mean, you score two touchdowns in your first two drives. You know, you they figure out what you're doing in the second quarter. You go into halftime. You get the adjustments right, which I think is what a lot of people have criticized Gus for in the past is they're just doing the same thing over and over. And it's not working. All four games this year, you have, you can point to tangible offensive right. adjustments. And yeah, I and I think it's part of Gus evolving as a coach. But I also think that's Kenny Dillingham's effect. Having an offensive coordinator up top, which Gus hasn't always had. Right, been that the is play great about calling plays. Yeah. yeah, and he's up there. And, and, and look, that's what Kenny Dillingham came over for. And he was really good at that in Memphis. It's one of the things Mike Norvell talked very highly about him, that particular aspect of his of his coaching. Um, so I think it's I think that's gone a long way. I mean, I know people look at Dillingham and his hire as eh, maybe, or was it just a cost-cutting <laughs> measure? Right. 
Probably, but he, he's also he was also exactly what Gus and Auburn needed right now, and through four games, it's really shown. I think the coolest thing about that game is that Gus kind of went back. There were talk you'd hear talks about from people that maybe played for Gus uh, in thirteen and fourteen and seventeen, even that there would be times where Gus would see something on the field, and no matter where Auburn was on the field, he would just radio in like, "We're about to score a touchdown, run this play." And you kind of get that feeling again, game like, wait a minute. It's exactly what happened with the shorts play. They yeah. were waiting to get to the right hash. They were waiting to run it into the ba- oh, they were going to run it into the into the boundary side. And they knew that if if the play was sold enough, well enough. And um, what A and M real quick A and M's defense very good. Mike Elko is a great defensive coordinator. Very aggressive. They were that they were they were really committed to stopping the run and sometimes over committing too much. So what they did was when they would see Auburn's guards pull. Yeah. On a buck sweep or, or even on a, on a power, they're like beeline into that side of the field. Well, that was the focus in your film room a couple weeks or last week or the week before of you know, Auburn's having all the success pulling guards going to the right. And you know, maybe they should just keep doing that. And the A&M saw the same thing, said, we're okay, we're going to cut that off. And we're going to counter it perfect. And yeah, and then you counter it with Schwartz. And look, uh, Bo Nix made a good little crackback block there. Prince Tega tried his hardest to go upfield. Uh, and then uh, I thought Salcanella did or made a really good block on there. Didn't need it though. Anthony right. Schwartz <laughs> is that fast, and um, good to see. Good to see. I think from the Auburn perspective, good to see Schwartz remind everybody that oh yeah, he is the fastest man in college in college football. And Gus said that was proof that one, as he gets healthier, they got to find ways to get him the ball even more. Absolutely. Is there any player that has been more impressive? Well, Sal Canelo to me is a player that I had zero expectations for coming into this year, and he has not been a negative impact on the team. So to me, that's a huge win. Saw several plays on Saturday where his blocking was it might not have been a key block, but it was enough that they were going to get a few more yards because of what he was doing. And I don't think I would have expected coming into the season that Sal Canelo was going to be a guy who could make an impact without having the ball in his hands. He has the second most snaps on offense behind Bo Nix. Yeah, and part of that is because Seth hasn't been, you know, yeah. Seth missed. Right, he's pretty much been the only six quarters. Has been healthy the whole season. Right. Yeah, um, but he's he's playing hard, and it's a role that is not glamorous, but he's but he's playing it well. So, speaking of the receivers, one of the guys we've seen on the field a lot. He hasn't really gotten the ball, but he stood out because he's not a scholarship guy. James Owens Moss. Mm-hmm. What, what's his role like? Why we didn't see him in the spring? We didn't. Nobody expected him to be getting these snaps no. early in the game. So what what's caused that? Is he is he is the yes okay. yes he is James uh, he uh, James Moss is Shedrick Jackson right now. Okay. If Shedrick Jackson was healthy, he'd be out there doing what James Owens Moss is doing, going in motion, land blocks, maybe every now and then catching a pass. But that's the one thing about having a walk on like like mm-hmm. Moss. Dude's going to bust his tail, and you know that any opportunity he's going to get, he's going to try his hardest and. You need that. Sometimes blocking like that if you're a receiver is just effort. And so when you don't have Shedrick Jackson, your best perimeter blocker, they're putting him into the game and using him very well. And I think Auburn's other receivers are raising their games in perimeter blocking. We mentioned Canella. I thought for a guy who was had a hurt shoulder, uh, Seth Williams threw, threw some good blocks in there. Let's say, he was playing really well in blocking them. As long as he lines up correctly. Yeah. <laughs> as long as he lines up correctly. <laughs> and also special teams. He won the special yeah. teams helmet yeah. sticker again. Um, he uh, – there was a punt, and I know y'all probably couldn't see it on TV, but there was a punt where um, he was physically beating his man for like thirty yards, just, just, just dogging him up the field and and and, and blocking him. And the guy, you could just tell by the end of the A and M guy was just just like laying on the ground, like please stop, like I, like, like like I'm done. And uh, that's the thing about the Hill man, like he's a really really good player, really good kid. Um, but that that example of Gus flipping out on him in uh, on the in that red zone position is kind of what's held him back. Is that right. he's got to he's got to do the little things right. And he's still a retro freshman. I mean, yeah, he's got plenty of years left. At all. He's got to know where he's got a lot. You can't have opportunities like that right. and go by the wayside because mm-hmm. it's easy for Gus to be like, I'll I'll trust somebody else in that spot. Yeah, he'll dog. He'll he'll definitely dog out. But I think he will be. I think he will be a really good player down the road for sure. One of the things that surprised me, not even during this game, but after the game, because. The fa- it was that I didn't have to think about the offensive line in this game. Mm-hmm. I was I was impressed because after the game, like man, I didn't I don't remember complaining about the offensive line. 
few, that's a win. Yeah, there were a few busts. There were a few just, ah, oh, you didn't really get, any, right. get much push that there. Happens but every game. Happens in every game, and also A&M's got a really good defensive front. They're yeah. the eighth best in the country last year at stopping the run. They're really good, even though they had to change up some things this year with their personnel. Um, I thought they played well. I only saw a couple of opportunities where you were like, oh, that was, that was bad. Guys were pulling well. You saw some guys even get into the second level a little bit more in zone blocking. They held their own. Um, they had to be schemed around a little bit with all those outside runs early. Right. But when it came down to it and AM started playing a little bit more spread out and, 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 and uh, gap sound, it was just, all right, can you out-muscle these dudes? Do they want it anymore? And on that, that fourth-quarter drive. Six-minute drive, over six-minute drive, 12 plays, eight times Booby gets the ball. And, and co- constantly changing what they did, too. Right? Yeah. There were tosses. There were zones. There were powers. Like, it was it just, was, And he was fresh. A healthy dose had a fresh Jartavius Whitlow. Yeah. But, like you said, in different ways. It wasn't the Gus power, power, power. It was, let's toss it up. All three of their tosses, all three of their tosses went for at least five or six yards. Like they were, they were the exact right calls to call in that situation because once they started cheating towards the middle, you hit them to the outside. And once they play sound again, well, it's easier to go up the middle. They he kept that it, it, Gus's play calling in the way Auburn played. They kept a and yeah. off balance most of the game, and that's what you do when your offensive line and your running game might not be where it needs to be right now. You got to out scheme them, and they and they did that. And you, Ryan has in our show notes after a And M hits their field goal at the beginning of the second quarter. A&M had seven straight punts. Well, no, not just A&M. It was oh, Auburn. The, the combined game was seven straight punts to the end of the half. So wow. the second quarter was, you could just fast forward. Yeah. There's nothing there. And, and people said, well, what went wrong in the second quarter for Auburn? Well, they had set the edge so well in the first quarter. A&M started playing it a little bit better. Mistakes. I mean, just little mistakes. Guys, guys getting beat on the outside. Uh, fumbles, you know, fumble snaps, penalties. Yeah. Things that keep you behind the chain. Things that make you say, like after the game, Auburn's undefeated. Auburn's shown glimpses on offense. They could be a whole lot better. If they just play cleaner football, they could be a whole lot better. Well, the other issue of what happened Auburn in the second quarter was Braden Mann. Best punter in the country. Pinned Auburn deep several times. He had, he had a couple that he kicked into the end zone. And a couple that uh, tut? Yeah. Not to yeah. Not kick it. You, gotta, you can't outkick your coverage. Yeah. Right? yeah. And uh, man, Tut's had a great season. He's so, going to bust one. It's going to be so great when mm-hmm. he finally does. But both in defense and special teams. He's a, he's a really good football player. He, <laughs> Just, had a, he had a rundown. I think Kellen Mond thought that he was a defensive lineman because he blitzed, Tut blitz on the third down, and Kellen Mond ran outside. Mond, Tut changed direction yep. and just ran him down. And you would think that if Kellen Mond knew that it was a defensive back, he would have thrown it away. But I, I, for the life of me, watching the game live, I go, I think he doesn't think that that's a defensive back. Because he wasn't even looking at him. I've said this before on, on, on the lunch break, and I'll, I, I don't know. I haven't had anybody really counter with, with, a, with a better example. I think this might be the fastest team on both sides of the ball Auburn's ever put out. I wouldn't disagree with you at all. Those linebackers, especially, did upgrade. I'm sure everyone wants to sing the praises of Deshaun Davis and Darrell Williams and Trey Williams and, and Montavious Hackinson for what they did in Auburn. Sure. The the upgrades in terms of athleticism with the new core is just bonkers. Chandler Wooten, Owen Papo can fly. Absolutely. Those Jacob guys, McClain will run as hard as yeah. he can because he knows at the end of it he might be able to knock your teeth out. Right. And, and then, of course, K.J. Britt is, is playing very – he looks like an NFL linebacker. K.J. Britt's playing the best linebacker. Is there somebody in the SEC playing better linebacker than K.J. Britt? Right? Probably not now. Probably not at the moment. I mean, yeah. To be honest, like – Through four games. It's it, it, he is playing really good football, and then you have your safeties that are not afraid to come down and and and, and get get physical in coverage. Tackling in space has been excellent. I feel like Javaris Davis didn't have the greatest first three games of the year, yeah. but he played really well on, on on Saturday, and he had some of those what I call submarine tackles where you just they get in space and it's just you're done, you're not yeah. going any further, and yeah. you can't like, nickel and dime those guys; they're too no. fast. It seemed like the game plan with the secondary was okay. We know that they're bigger than us. Mm-hmm. We know that if we let them get behind us. They're going to catch every jump ball there is. Yep. So we got to keep them in front. We got to tackle, and they did a great job of that. And that's why when you you saw Auburn kind of march down and have that six minute touchdown in the fourth quarter, you knew hey the secondary is not going to give up any big plays. They're already out of time. 
They're, yeah, so they, that, they, it seemed to work great. The only thing I think, and you talk about different ways Auburn can be a whole lot better, I, there's a ton on offense. Defensively, I think one of the things that might be a little bit troublesome for Auburn is that their their defensive backs are a little small, on, mm-hmm. especially the guys at corner. Bigger receivers are going to win those intermediate balls. Auburn's not going to let you beat them deep. They're too fast. They're not going to let you play short. They're too good at tackling at space right now. I would, and AM did it. That's how AM walked down the field on those two touchdown drives. It's those intermediate balls, those 15, you know, 10, 15, right. 17, 18 yard plays where good quarterbacks can get it to them, big receivers can get it to them. Alabama and LSU looks like look like two teams are going to be able to do that. Right. And so that's where they've got to improve. And good news is you, you don't play them for another month. But Can't what I, you have to do if you if you allow that is you have to tackle them if they catch the ball at 15 to 20 yards. Right. And that's what they did well. Yes, they did that. They didn't let. Well. They did, there were no. If you watched the Houston Tulane game Friday night or Thursday night, whatever mm-hmm. it was, I did watch that, that was, game. Ryan, that was a that game was lost because nobody tackled on the ball down the field, right? Mm-hmm. And yeah, Auburn was doing that. And that's that's going to help them win. You know who can't improve very much is well, maybe Ryan noted uh, Derek <laughs> Brown Ader. Derek Brown had four tackles, three for a loss, two sacks, a forced fumble, and two pass breakups. Should have been corner of the week. Should have been corner of the week. First defensive player for Auburn to do that since 2012. That is amazing. To do all that in a game. Um, yeah. Who did it in 2012? Sorry, I didn't quite catch that. Siri doesn't Siri's trying to Siri figure it out. Siri doesn't know who it is. Um, Jacob. I, I, think, I, I think we've determined it might have been Gabe Wright. Okay. But I'm not 100%, 100% sure on that one. But, yeah, it's he, – uh, he played like – a dominant player. And can I get on a soapbox real quick? Go for it. Uh, real quick. There's a lot of people talking about Nick Coe right now. Nick Coe is messing people, m- messing some people up, just not getting the stats for it. Right. He's hitting quarterbacks. He is, you know, making a lot of chaos. Finally. Now, does it, should he be having more sacks and tackles for loss and tackles in general? Absolutely. Uh, but he's affecting the game right now, and he's, they're moving around doing some things. I think he can catch fire, but – this defensive line is so good. Yeah, you're gonna have. I think this is the the place where once a week it's gonna be somebody else. It's been right. Marlon to start. It was Derek this week. Um, Tyron Truesdale's gonna get in on the action at some point. You're, what a, there's going to be a Tyron Truesdale game. There's going to be a Big Cat Brian game. Yeah. And I think by the end of the season you'll have at least one Nick Coe game. Big, it seems Brian. like Nick Coe is so far as having Marlon's season from last year. Yes, where he's so close. I mean, he is making plays, but yeah. he's not getting the stats for those plays. Mm-hmm. So all right. For in your film room today, yeah, you talked about how Auburn ran a lot of twenty personnel. The first half switched to ten in the second half. Mm-hmm. Ryan, what is twenty personnel? And what is ten personnel? Twenty means you have two running backs, running back, edge back, however you want to combine those. Ten is just one, four wide, and no tight ends on okay. either. Yes, that's where the zero comes in there. Why did Gus do that? Okay, so um, I think it was all a part of uh, spreading a team out and. In the first half, they attacked the edges, and then AM got better at, at, at establishing that. And so what you do in that case is, all right, how are we going to generate an inside running game? Because you need to have it in the second half, and they did. Um, what they do is, is that if you put an H-back on the field or a tight end, it invites one, guy, one more guy to come into the box. So what you do on a four, when you go into 10 personnel, it's just it's spread football. It is your five linemen against whoever they got in front of them, you got to beat them with a running game. So it spreads the defense out. It, it makes them have to respect all the receivers, and it's easier to run into because as good as you would like to have an H-back or a tight end there, it just brings more clutter to a team that was already really fundamentally sound and gap sound on defense. They run the ball in, in 10 personnel super well on that last on that, on that fourth quarter drive mm-hmm. that we were talking about earlier. Did a really good job. And the other thing I thought worked is uh, if you go back and watch the game, they ran a lot of that where Booby started the play outside at wide receiver. And all that does is, yeah, it's window dressing. All it is is just you read it, you motion him, and when you motion him, you can see this is what they're playing. They're playing zone, they're playing man, here's what they're going to do, how they're going to respect us in the box. It lets Knicks kind of see it. It lets Gus kind of see it a little bit quicker. And it worked. And so you spread them out to knock them down. Uh, it's basically what they did in the second half. Is there ever a wrinkle off of that where you talk about where Booby starts outside so it looks like you have five wide? Do they ever run plays out of that without motioning them in? It depends on what the defense does. If the defense is respecting them out there, is there a read where they say, "Okay, if they don't cover, if, Ruby, you, if you don't cover them, yeah, just and, and, and yeah, and you not the same situation, but you saw that in the Oregon game, the Eli Stove touchdown. Mm. There, there was like, wait, hold on, there's not a guy back there. They have full range to say, clap, give me the ball, I gotta get, it, I gotta get it to that to that guy. So yeah, they're gonna wait for it. And there might be a time when you run it enough 
where they'll they'll sag off a little bit or that 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 linebacker who's responsible for movie will cheat in a little and so what you do on there is you just snap and let him go straight and just lob it to where he where he ain't so right now a team like AM, a lot of those teams are going to respect it and you bring them into the box kind of like they do sometimes with the h-back as well you'll see them motion in from slot to in there just to just to make a make a read i thought it's interesting and i've noticed it more this year i don't know if he's done it in the past or not but doing what you're talking about, where they bring somebody in, whether it's an H-back or a receiver, mm-hmm. but where they bring the receiver in, though. Where mm-hmm. Eli Stove, Sal Canellas had a catch out of that, where they bring them in as an H-back and still treat them as a receiver. They, they did that a little bit towards the end of the season last year with Ryan Davis. Uh, it's, okay. it's what they, they call kind of a now screen, where you run the RPO and let him leak out, and it's it's the the, the read is the end, and then whatever the linebacker's doing. And then, uh, yeah, they do that more often. The good thing, and what they're what the next evolution of that is, is trusting guys like J.J. Wilson and uh, John Samuel Shanker mm-hmm. to be a guy where if you put them out at slot receiver, they'll respect them enough to know they'll go out for a pass if you let them hang there, but also can do some of that H back stuff as well. And then and then when they, and then when they make the play happen, they can go no huddle on the next play and not have to substitute and just say, all right, now now you're actually an H back, now you're actually a tight end. That's what they've been trying to push for for a while. And I think it's part of the reason why you see this offense at least going faster. All right. So let's – last thing we're going to say, I've just been handed a note. Uh, Brendan Mann is the best player on their team, as Ryan told Chief. I did. And uh, Chief confirmed that to me. He was nice. Okay. So is Joey Gatewood <laughs> doing touchdown pass? So he's starting quarterback now, right? A lot of people well, want he, that. he came out on the next <laughs> possession as a quarterback. Mm-hmm. That's so quarterback scary. rating of 430, I think, in Gosh, that game. So, crushing it. So, I mean – if you want efficiency, my favorite thing about that was after the game. I watched the uh, recap, the Auburn Tiger, whatever post game show, mm-hmm. and Gus said Joe could be the starting quarterback. Or said so, he, he obviously misspoke, but he said we've got a, another guy who could be our starting quarterback. And I was like, and, Joe, why did you why did you say that, Gus? And he was saying that, and it was I think it was partly in reference to one of the questions, and he was like. Because you're a play away. Right. You could be our starting quarterback. And it's not like, hey, you could be our starting quarterback. Look, Bo Nix has got to get better at throwing the ball. I mean, his on-target percentage is one of the worst in the FBS for, for, for quarterbacks. Right. Uh, he knows that. <laughs> and uh, uh, he's a guy who's good. He's a guy who's really hard on himself, and he'll work at it. He'll get better at it the more he's actually yeah. got healthy receivers. He, he's barely played with Anthony Schwartz. Remember, he wasn't there in the spring. Uh, and he was hurt for a lot of fall camp. So he's still trying to learn uh, just how far you have to throw it to, to Anthony Schwartz and how much. Because, man, if I'm, throwing a, if I'm throwing Anthony Schwartz, and I can't throw, but if I'm throwing Anthony Schwartz, I'm throwing as far as humanly possible right. and being like, well, that's not realistic because right. you can only go so far when you're actually a trained right. quarterback. But I think the one thing about Nick's, though, is he does all the little things for a, for a freshman quarterback so well. It's just that one big thing he's got to tighten right. up on. And when that comes – all the little things get amplified, and he can be really good. What makes you feel good about watching him is you can tell, even when he misses the throw, like that he's he's the process is correct. Yeah, he's he's making the reads that he's supposed to. He's you know, stepping up in the pocket like he should. You know, sometimes the footwork gets a little sloppy, but you know, he's he's tucking the ball and running when he should, and mm-hmm. and he's not doing it when he shouldn't. Throwing it away, right? You know, he's not—he's not turning the ball over. That's huge. fourteen straight quarters without a turnover after having two picks in his mm. in his first half of his college career. Mm. There's not very many quarterbacks that are yeah. doing that right now. He's not really taking sacks. He took one—I think one yesterday or Saturday. Yeah, and it was—and it was—it was, uh, uh, was a kind of a combination of a coverage sack and a, and a bust up front. Right. Mm-hmm. So we ran a lot of different kinds of plays and. The zone plays versus gap run plays and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Do you see us doing that again going forward? Like just got to be a mix, mixing it up. You got to be a mix, and you got to mix it up on certain drives. You can't just do one thing over and over again. Because now what you can do is you tweak. Once you start, once you're really good at pulling your guards, they're going to do what A and M did and be like they'll overplay. And then Gus, to his credit, is very good at coming up with these little tweaks that'll the 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 reverse to Schwartz. The the uh, even the touchdown pass from um, Joey that was supposed to be a kind of naked bootleg, and then you just read what what it is on the other side. 
there's just tweaks because you, you got to be able to do that. You got to be able to keep a team off balance. If they can, if you're predictable, if you're predictable to the people in the stands, yeah, you're definitely predictable for the guys making millions of dollars right. to, 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 to defend you. There were times in 17 and 18 that I kind of knew what play was going to come next with guys. It's a problem. Yeah. Right. You knew that in 13, too, but it didn't matter because your right. personnel was just better than everybody else. I knew else. it was going to happen. You were right behind Greg Robinson. You were right behind Greg Robinson, right behind Greg Robinson Alex Kozan, and uh, Sean Coleman had a great year that year, but also um, Jay Prosh. Yeah. If you could clone Jay, Jay Prosh and Gus yeah. could have a Jay Prosh every year. Oh, my gosh. His offensive would be. Chandler Cox wasn't that far off of that. I love him. I mean, he, he wasn't the block. Wasn't very, wasn't as consistent as Prosh was, but no. was a little bit more But by the end of his career, he was yeah. exactly what Gus wanted. Remember, on this fans of this podcast, including our friend Matt, uh, at Barnow, at AU Barnow. Shout out to Matt. There you go. Fans of this podcast remember me saying that Auburn will miss Chandler Cox more than we'll miss uh, Jared Stidham this year. Because I think he'll be more difficult to replace. And I think we've done a pretty good job replacing H. Spencer Knott played really well. Yeah. Go, go watch Spencer Knott on the, on the final play, that third down, that bow conversion to ice it. Perfect split zone. And what you did, what he did was he head faked. It was, it was kind of like a really good little basketball move. He kind of head faked the defensive end thinking the defensive end thought he was about to get blocked by Nye. And whenever he gets blocked by Nye, he thinks automatically right. it's a handoff. Well, when you head fake him, he starts freezing. Well, I'm going to go seal this guy up at the top of the end. And I, then this defensive end's like, wait, who's blocking me? Wait, I'm supposed to go get the quarterback. Oh, no, he's already gone. Great. He's done a really good job. That's a walk-on. That's yeah. a walk-on making plays like that. And Another Texan. Another Texan. <laughs> Just like Jared Stidham. I don't know if you knew he was from Texas. What about Cam Martin? Cam Martin. All Baylor backfield. I wish we still had those guys. <laughs> guys, the uh, Rugby World Cup, we talked about it before the show. <laughs> Got to get to that finally. Uh, in the first pool, Ireland's leading over Japan. It's 5 5 0 0 0 for Samoa, Russia, and Scotland. Guys, Scotland got smokehoused by Ireland today. It's not even, that wasn't even close. Uh, the U.S. has beaten Scotland in the past, which means that's all you need to know about Scotland and rugby right now. It's not good. Uh, pool B, Italy, New Zealand are at the top of Pool B, but that's only because South Africa hasn't done as well as they should have. So I, I, I still think South Africa's worth picking out of Pool B. And then New Zealand as well, obviously. Uh, the U.S.'s group, England, France, Argentina, U.S., and Tonga. The U.S. is going to struggle out to finish dead last in that one, but we'll see. They got England tomorrow at 5.45 a.m. And then rounding out Pool D, Wales, Australia, Uruguay, Fiji, and Georgia. I like Fiji. To be honest, Wales is going to win that, and then Australia will finish second. But look to Fiji try to get third place, Ryan. Fiji's a fun team to watch play rugby. They are extremely gigantic, play hard defense, and are outrageously fast for their size. Is the Republic of Georgia as boring on offense as the University of Georgia was against Notre Dame? Even more so, if possible. Georgia against Notre Dame... They're going to do – here's what people are trying to say. Someone in our Slack said that Georgia is recreating 9 Alabama. And currently they are in a league where two or three of the teams can beat 9 Alabama fairly, yeah. fairly easily. Um, they don't have Julio Jones. But what I think Georgia is unfortunately doing, and I don't think Kirby realizes it, he is recreating LSU under less miles. I said this today on our show. Like, uh, he's got to have that moment where you're like, "Oh wait, you got to have a modern offense to work." LSU's finally done it. We think he's, he is. Like, With the, <laughs> and Alabama had to have it. He they, he had to learn. He had to learn the hard way. And Nick Saban had to learn the hard way. And to his credit, he did. And he, he evolved. Did. I don't think you can make it in the East because Florida ain't there yet, and no one Nobody else. else no one else is even close. Right. Um. But yeah, you can't do that if you want to consistently. I'm not worried about Georgia right now, which is really weird. So Georgia needs to go hire uh, Lane Kiffin as the offensive coordinator in the offseason is what I'm hearing. What? Yeah, that's what we're saying. That'd be fun. They need to hire him as the head coach. You know, you, you know how great he'd look in a Georgia visor. <laughs> he fits that vibe. He fits that vibe. He does have If a, I can't get Ole Miss head coach uh, uh, Lane Kiffin, which is what I which, which is what I'm really really pushing for, right? Um, but I don't think it's ever going to happen. I, I think we need to. I think we need to have the uh, the Georgia offensive coordinator. You would I do was, so well in Athens. I wish that Ole Miss would hire that uh, the guy who's currently the OC at Texas Tech, who was at Utah State, that has the long, yeah. the long shoulder length blonde hair. They should hire that guy. Yeah, that's He's a, the best. But yeah, Georgia's got to figure that out because at this point, like I, I don't think that offense, unless they start catching fire, that's not anything that's going to scare Auburn later. Now, can Auburn's offense move the ball against Georgia's defense by then? We'll see. 
But if you want to come up, come up with the prophecy together, I mean, there's a good chance Auburn could be undefeated heading into Baton Rouge. Yeah. Lose that game in Baton Rouge because you have to lose at LSU to have, a, to, to have a good season at Auburn. That's true. You have to lose at LSU to have a season at Auburn. Yes. That's true. <laughs> and, then, uh, you get George, and then you get Georgia and Alabama at home and you know, see, where the, see where the chips fall there. I've been on record of saying that there's a good chance we could have a three-way, one-loss tie in the West, Auburn, Bama, and LSU. We lose to LSU. LSU loses to Bama. Bama loses to Auburn. Mm-hmm. And in that situation, Auburn wins the West. Because the tiebreaker goes down to who has the best East record. It'll be us. It'll be us. You guys realize that William Jefferson Clinton was president the last time that Auburn beat LSU in Baton Rouge? Exactly. So we can lose that. It's been a long time. It's been a long time. And even before LSU put out this just murderous offense with Joe Burrow at quarterback. Joe Joe Brady's really good at his job, is is what we're learning. But uh, even before then, I was just like... Heading into the year, like, hey, what do you think? I said Auburn's going to lose that LSU. That's the only thing I'm confident. Yeah, it's the, it's the only thing I'm super confident in, and I feel like they'll probably lose to Alabama. But you know, you feel you feel like LSU's got it. My you know? thought is, is if Auburn gets to the Alabama game with sitting at ten and one, Auburn wins that game ten times out of ten. Say Saban has a hard time beating good Auburn teams. So let's, Alabama has a good or has a hard time beating good Auburn teams. Let's sure. end the podcast looking ahead. At this coming probably week's talking game. about Mississippi State a little bit. So quickly at SP plus, they're fourteenth overall, seventeenth offense, thirty second on defense. They were number one on offense after the first two weeks, but then yeah, Tommy Stevens got hurt. I mean, they, they had played some really bad teams. Yeah, and I know like, SP is his opponent adjusted, right? Uh, but also they had just performed a lot of preseason game. stuff. Right? Yeah, um, and and they're not confident in their team as a fan. No. No, and they saw they saw their backup quarterback get knocked in the air like he was in John Woo, and right. like they still don't think this guy. I mean, you lose to Kansas State, that'll change some things. But um, he looked yeah. like it was a John Wick movie. It was it was insane uh, what they got. I, I don't know I don't know how to feel about State this year. I feel the defense has struggled. The defense has struggled. It was the best in America last year. But Kansas State kind of mashed them yeah. up front, which Kansas State will do that to you if you're not ready, but. You're you're an SEC team. You should be playing better up front than that. Can they pass well? You, you're the Mississippi State expert here, right? Like, yeah. like, can they throw? Can they both throw the ball effectively? Because I think no. if if you want to come in and say we're going to run it this year, that's a tough task against Auburn because yeah. right now they are playing like one of the best run defenses in America. Tommy Stevens is throwing the ball pretty well. Gary Schrader, who's their quarterback now, has not done that much. He's run the ball well. He's got, he is twenty. He's got two hundred yards on the ground. He's 28 for 45, Schrader is, for 302 yards. Ryan, you and I have as many touchdown passes as he has. Against Kansas State and Kentucky. Yeah. So not, not stouch defenses. Staunch defense as well. But he ran the ball 30 times for 223 right. yards. And a so touchdown. He, it's just like Mississippi State almost always is. Uh, a lot it's of a that was Fitzgerald. the Mullen influence. Yeah. Um, but he's, he's a guy that can run the ball. Kylan Hill, their, their main running back, is just the focus of the offense. He's got 91 carries already. He's like over 500 yards. Their next, their He's backup good. running back, their backup running back's got I think 10 carries. Wow! And you complain about Gus not rotating his running. Yeah, that was a joke. 91 carries in four games. There, you always have to worry about maybe one or two Mississippi State receivers, though. And I feel like they, those guys have kind of started to phase out. Like they, it was there was that run there for a while where it was like you knew that one Mississippi State receiver, like six nine. Yeah, he's going to be six nine, two thirty, and somehow he's from Alabama, and yeah. neither Auburn or Alabama offered him like he's chip on his shoulder. <laughs> their, their best receiver, and I'm, I'm blanking on his name now, but he he is six five, yeah, two twenty. Always have those guys. Mm-hmm. They just he's, get raw, really big dudes, yeah. and to their credit, they, they'll put some. Put together some pretty good offenses with them. Right. Defensively, though, it looks like they're really missing missing. Yeah, I mean, they, they played, what, three first-round picks in the draft yeah. last year? I mean, you're going to miss that talent when you're Mississippi State. You're it's not recruiting their, at a you know top-five level. Sweat was playing good on Monday Night Football before yeah. he came up here. It was probably their best defense they've ever had at Mississippi State. That's why so many people were mad about Dan Mullen leaving. You know, they, they say that, you know, oh, we, wanted, we were ready for him to leave. But, no, that was the best team talent-wise you ever had. Yes, yeah. one of the best defenses in the country, and if Mullen is there, that offense works. Right. And yeah. Even they, though you don't have a Dak, right. you're 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 right up there though. I mean, the best quarterback in the National Football League, Dakota <laughs> Prescott. Um, last thing, let's predict this game, and then we'll get out of here. Ryan, the line was ten Sunday morning. 
Yeah, it's, yeah. I think it's fluctuated between nine and ten for the Okay. Yeah, I'm feeling a little more confident than that. Um, you know, you, these Mississippi State games are hard to read sometimes. Auburn's four zero and four zero against the spread. Yeah. Great teams cover. Yeah. Um, if I'm just gonna throw a number out there, give me thirty-five twenty. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I hate doing score predictions because yeah. I'm horrible at them. But thirty-five I, I, twenty, okay. Because I could, I, I could see Auburn clicking a little bit better on offense, being at home. Um, I think their defense is going to give them give them some trouble. If I, I feel like this could be like a, a twenty-eight seventeen, thirty-one seventeen kind of game. Um, Auburn's defense is on a mission right now. They're playing great against the, the run, and knowing Kevin Steele and knowing the way those guys are. They went all day yesterday in the film, in film session saying this, 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 and this in the fourth quarter was was wrong. You mm-hmm. got to get better at that. They're going to have a chip on the shoulder. Night game at Auburn. Good luck to the new quarterback because right. um, I don't know, man. Like I, I, I've said it before, Kyle, Kyle Field's an interesting spot because it's so big, but it's not quite as loud as I thought it would be. Um, it, it's giant, and I, Nick's. I didn't think Nick's was going to get rattled either way, but I think just Auburn just brings. More volume per per person than 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 other places in in the SEC. I, I think got, it's similar with Florida and LSU. I kind of got made fun of when I said this before, but we earlier in the summer we talked about the loudest games that you're in here that we can remember. Mm. And one of the ones on my list was the last time Mississippi State was in Auburn in 2017. Mm. And it wasn't necessarily the full game, but that was one of the few times you can point and say, "Oh, the crowd noise affected that game." There were so many false starts and delay of games, and you could tell Mississippi State could not communicate on offense. Twenty sixteen LSU was like that as right. well. You know where where it looked like uh, what, was, what was the dude's name? Uh, he was making his first start. Harris. Oh, yeah. Harris, who ended up going to North Carolina. It was yeah. just like he just didn't want to play football yeah. anymore by the end of that. All right, so I'm picking this. Tigers are six and zero against the spread in the last six home games. Ryan Bulldogs are are zero and four the last four road games against the spread versus a team with a winning record. Have they gone away from start way up? Were, were they no, I believe this is their first game. Well, I'll take it back. The opener was in New Orleans. That's right. They played, they played Lafayette in the Superdome. And Covers.com has this as an 11-point spread. Yeah, it's going to rise. I so I'm, I'm thinking Auburn by 14, and I'm going to say give me Auburn 35. Yeah. 21? Yeah. 21? I can say that. Give me out of 35. The price is right me? <laughs> no. Did you get 34 to Mike? I'm just not that good at math. 3622. Um, <laughs> yeah, 36-22, final, <laughs> final answer. No, I, yeah, I, I think I'm by 14 is my, I can say that. my real thing. I can say that. I just think this defense is often still not quite there yet, but the defense. I, to be 100% honest, 21's tough to me. I have a hard time thinking anybody's getting three scoring drives put together against Auburn right now. Yeah, unless, but, you, unless you're A&M. Like, yeah. I mean, I, I think there's probably three or four teams that I can look at in the SEC and go, yeah, I bet they could straight This also feels like a game that if Auburn gets up to 14 nothing like they did against Texas A&M, it's, it's it just... Could, there could be some could, quit. Yeah, yeah, it could be like, you know, past yeah. games where Auburn's kind of... The fun thing for us to pick will be, uh, who's the SEC defensive lineman of the week this week? <laughs> yeah, I think that's going to be super Who's turn is it? Yeah. Feels like an interior guy again with the amount, yeah. the amount of running they, they're going to do. Let's get Truesdale one. Yeah. I hope, it's, I hope Auburn runs it every week like Luca did with, <laughs> with Rookies of the Month. Yeah, Trey Young's better. Sure, sure he is. <laughs> All right, that's it for us. And like I say every week, oh, no. One, two, three. Nix is unbelievable. <laughs> <laughs>